ladies and gentlemen, we are live. This is Mumbo number five. Is it Kylie Minogue that can't get you out of my head? Yeah. I just can't get you out of my head. I don't know that it sounds like that. But <laughs> I mean, sure it does. In my head, it sounds <laughs> like that. What is that voice that you do, by the way? You have like one default one singing default, It's one default voice. silly voice. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, I've is only it, got one. Is it from something or is it just that no. you've cultivated I've it? I've cultivated it over okay. time. All That's right. it. That's cool. I respect that. It's like don't do a bunch of voices poorly. Do one voice poorly commit. all the time. <laughs> commit, commit to one bad voice. So I was listening to that the other day, and like I always thought that was like a decent song, but listening to it closely with like headphones, there's a shitload of like freaky jazz chords going on in the background of that song. Like whoever is playing the keyboard is going nuts. And the beginning bit was like. Like yeah. all of that at the beginning, but that that stuff is rel- like it's well produced, but it's relatively simple, like sort of synth pop stuff. But it's when the verses kick in and there's like Rhodes keyboard doing like yeah jazzy chords, yeah, and then all those like transitions are crazy as well. It's just generally an extremely fucking well made song. Highly recommend. That's my tip for the day. If you haven't sat down and listened to "Can't Get You Out of My Head" with headphones, do it. Because it's I only ever hear it on shopping centre speakers, you know. I saw a good meme recently, which was like, at different stages of your life, like you'll walk into you walk into a club in your teens and be like, oh, they're playing my music, and then you walk into a bar in your twenties, oh, they're playing my music. You walk into a shopping centre in your thirties, <laughs> oh, they're playing my music. So that's how yeah, it goes. They're playing. Uh are we in Bunnings and they're playing that song that goes, uh, if you want to call me baby. <laughs> I don't actually like that song, but it's, just what, it's one of the ones that lives rent free in my head. Only because it has that weird scat bit in it. But even the, the, the verses, like the whole thing, it goes on for so... I remember being like with a partner uh, and being in Bunnings and it coming on and me like being pissed off by the time it was finished because it just kept going, what, there's a fucking harmonica solo now? <laughs> this song it needed a goes. harmonica solo? Jesus. It goes Dude, and you goes. Go to, you go to clubs quite often, don't you? Not really. I can't remember the last time I went to a club. Well, you go more often than I do. Yeah. Um, is it true that they play a lot of like 90s R&B Australian clubs? Because I've... Because I don't go to clubs, but I've seen American podcasts where they talk about Australia and it's like... Is that that oh, video yeah, you I go showed to clubs you? And it's like, hey? That's that video I showed you today. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not memorizing each individual piece of information <laughs> where the, where I learned it. It's the video I showed oh, you so today. So you're not citing your sources, huh? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I'm citing the source. I'm not saying where I learned it. Okay. Um, I don't know. The clubs that I was going to play Latin music. <laughs> so okay. And they, you go to but, the cool but clubs. they would play. They would play a combination of like you know, like Daddy Yankee and old like Nicky Jam and stuff like that. That's you know, I don't know ni- who they are. Ninety, well, but like nineties and two thousand. You know, Gasolina. Oh, that. That's the only thing I know. They play that at work a lot. And yeah, it's very annoying. Oh, no, Jesus. that's like rocks. <laughs> um, but I guess they were doing the Latin equivalent of that, which is playing like early two thousands and nineties sort of stuff amongst the more modern things. But yeah, I, I, I can't speak for other Australian clubs, um, which is why we have a guest on today, our um, the preeminent clubbing expert of Perth. <laughs> of course. Um, 
she's not here to discuss whatever she's prepared to discuss. She's actually <laughs> only here to discuss Australian club culture. <laughs> That's it. Can we welcome to the podcast, Catherine? Hi. Woo. Hi. Hey, Catherine. Uh, so please feel free to introduce yourself to the listeners. Who the um, hell are you? Oh, who am and I? And what's your deal? <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you like to know? Well, we're, we have... Do you have any sensory processing issues? Wow. Well, that would be a reason that I don't have much experience in Australian clubs. Right. Yeah. Mm. So I can't really talk about that. Uh, okay. But I guess tell us about your background. So, you know, career-wise, what's your background? And How your long have you been like this? <laughs> and your, no, and your... Is, is it, is, it's fair to say that we're, we're here to discuss autism it's specifically, yeah? Yes. So, yeah. Autism Acceptance Day, which month. is... Or month. Awareness Month. We or have awareness. a week and a month. It's, a week know, and a month. We it's, want all of it. It's all over the place. Everyone gets everything now. Yeah. Apparently it was... Except for men. There was, no, men. there was International <laughs> Women's Day, but I didn't know that it was also... Women's, women's History Month. Women's yeah. History Month. Yeah. There's only 12 months, yeah. but there's way more than 12 groups of people. <laughs> Why does everyone get a whole month? I don't know. There's a Latin Heritage Month as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't People like to drag it out. Isn't that May? Because it lines up with it Cinco de Mayo? No, I don't think... Because it must have been recently because UFC was like, look at these Latin people smacking the shit out of each other. That's how we're going to celebrate. <laughs> I mean, yeah. how else are they going to do it? Like, it's the UFC. With sombreros yeah. firing yeah. guns into the air. <laughs> but that was... Um, I think it was recently because there was a lot of... Uh, Latin heritage stuff on the UFC website. Well, without getting sidetracked again, let's let Catherine introduce herself and why <laughs> she's here today. Okay, so I guess professionally, um, my background is in education. I still am in education. So um, my specialist areas are in primary teaching, but also in inclusive education as well. Um, and as Dylan just said, um, I'm here to talk about autism acceptance um, because I am autistic um, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, and yeah. Would you say you that autism is your special subject? My special subject? Yeah. Um, it's my special interest. Your special interest. Or one interest. of them. <laughs> special subject, special interest. One of many special yeah, we, interests. Is that what special interest all, groups are? We I keep can't hearing all about be those. a stereotypical <laughs> autistic like you that just loves trains. Choo-choo, <laughs> <laughs> motherfucker. Choo-choo. We don't know for sure that I'm autistic. All I can say is that trains are the best and I've, I'm triple vaxxed. I'm all the way. Yeah. I'm getting my flu vax uh, in a couple of days as well. Flu vax. Yeah, man. Yeah, flu vax is great. Just get Not the getting the flu. Just get the flu. No. Just get it. <laughs> Come on. It'll be fine. We'll both have it. No. <laughs> I've already had COVID with you. That shit sucked. Yeah, I was not great. I was fine. Um, but we did have some questions prepped for Catherine. This time we decided to be a bit more professional and actually have some questions ready to ask our guest. So take it away, Cameron. Uh, so what is autism? <laughs> wow. And where does it come from? Wow. And do mm. I have it? <laughs> and why should I accept it? Well, hey, look, we're related. So there's, you know, oh, okay. a likelihood. So if there's genetic under underlying... I most definitely think that in my case it's genetic. Um, I think there is enough neurodivergence in the family, both diagnosed and 
undiagnosed that would indicate that it's genetic. Um, but if you look at sort of definitions of autism, um, they will say that it is... Sometimes they'll say that it's an issue with socialising, um, that it's a cognitive disorder. The word disorder is a bit... Um, Stigmatising. Yeah, a lot of autistics aren't really much of a fan of the term disorder um, because... They're very organised from what from my experience. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not that disorderly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can be. Um, depends on our comorbidities. Right. See. Um, oh, gotta love those comorbidities. <laughs> so if a comorbidity is ADHD, then there may well be some they disorderliness. Be ding, ding, ding. We have a Cameron winner. Stop <laughs> accusing me of having uh, conditions that I'm not aware of. <laughs> How did you get prescribed Dexies then? I have ADHD, but yeah. you keep... So you keep saying that I have autism. You just assume. You're just... Like you're around me and you're like, like, this guy's weird. I'd so. like to remind you of that time that I took you to meet my friend who runs a bookstore who has autism. Right. And the next time I met him, he turned to me and he said, I'm not as bad as that guy, am I? <laughs> <laughs> so, because so my autistic friend said so. Yeah. Do well, they, we, do we, we do have a way of like picking up on. It's like a gay dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say I'm definitely able to pick out certainly other neurodivergents mm. um so when we look at like neurodivergent conditions adhd being one of them mm-hmm. um you you know i think there's definitely markers um i look at my friendship groups and even looking at my friendship groups when i was at school so i'm like diagnosed i wasn't diagnosed until i was 32 um and even looking at my friendship group that I had growing up, a lot of those people have been late diagnosed as autistic, ADHD, bipolar. Um, I think bipolar we attract a, each other. Comorbidity. It can be yes. Okay. Dump dump dump. Pretty much. I've already it. accepted that I probably am. I don't care. <laughs> Pretty much Fair. like anything that um, sits under the neurodivergent umbrella. Mm. It's a big umbrella. Coexist. I feel like everybody these days has got something. Like, if it's not people getting diagnosed, uh, it's people who are self-diagnosing. Like, what do you think of self-ID? Is that yeah. valid? I, I think it's valid because when we think about accessibility, that mm. is an issue. So, um, as, an, as an adult seeking diagnosis in WA, like, it's a couple of thousand dollars just for one assessment. Mm. And now, the reason I decided to seek a diagnosis is because pretty much I wanted to be right. Sorry, um, that's my cat feeder saying food time. <laughs> like, what food, on earth? food time for the cats. <laughs> Carry on. So take it costs a lot of money to get diagnosed okay. if yeah. you're an adult. How much is it if you're a kid? Well, see, this is the thing with... So I'll talk about adult diagnosis first because I can talk first-hand experience with that. Um, so... I decided to pursue a diagnosis because I'd suspected for a long time um, being a teacher and being somebody who specialises in inclusive education, I had a fair idea um, that I was autistic 
Um, you're learning about how to help autistic kids in the classroom. And you're like, wait a minute. This well, is me. it was it was actually even I would kind of be able to preempt what they were going to do, and other like colleagues would be like, how did you know they were going to do that? Well, I would have done the same thing. Because um, it wouldn't makes you? sense, Linda. Yeah, yeah, like. <laughs> I would react that way. Um, you? So I thought about I thought about it for a long time, and I was actually lecturing um, on autism to a room of students, um, and I just had this moment of, God, I could be talking about myself here. I so you had a wow, he's literally me moment. I did. I really did. Um, I was reading. Were, I was reading a, Man. a first person account, and I was like, wow, these could be my words and. So I decided to pursue a diagnosis. Um, now, I was quite fortunate in the fact that my GP didn't resist it, but I think it's because I went beforehand with like, I did a pre-assessment on myself and all sorts and just went here, this is why I think I'm autistic and why I would like to have a referral. So I had a referral, um, got my diagnosis, pretty much the psych that diagnosed me within like, 15 minutes she was like yeah you don't need to convince me I know but we have to do these tests um so that's just a formality when I went back to my GP um to talk about perhaps you know is there any sort of support that I could get this is obviously like a big identity Mm. thing for me um and she was like oh well no because we'll have to send you for another referral because you need the diagnosis from two people why two it's a it's a rule in wa apparently um so it's actually easier for me to get um a mental health plan for anxiety yeah than it is for me to get a mental health care plan for my autism do they explain why is there like do you because you don't get access to meds for being autistic do you do do you know what i think it is i think it's just the we don't want that many people being autistic and we don't believe you we don't believe you that you would just have one diagnosis and that would be right i feel that way i I don't know whether it is that way but that's how it feels it's weird how yeah because like neat you've got one doctor and like a psychiatrist is an actual like md Hmm. So one doctor's got a diagnosis, but they're like, ah, he could have been wrong. Let's get another one. Well, I mean, the words the GP actually used was, oh, so Dr. So-and-so thinks you might be autistic. No, no, no. There's a report that says I am. I've read it. Um, So that was quite interesting. But to bring it back to the the accessibility thing, I was in a fortunate position that I had $2,000 to spend. Yeah. Many people don't. Um, and then you also start looking into, um, you know, people even just being aware of what autism is, um, that they might've gone their whole childhood and most of their adult life going, there's something wrong with me and having lots of mental health issues, but not having that information to know what it could be. So when we talk about self-diagnosis, it is valid. And there's quite a conversation within the autistic community about self-diagnosis being valid, primarily because of the accessibility issues. Mm. Um, yeah, and and it, that does um, that does move across in terms of children as well. Um, again, often parents having the right kind of information. It does also depend on who the GP is, um, and it depends on gender. Yeah. Um, so there's quite a lot of 
material out there to suggest that a GP, if they're presented with a girl um, who's presenting with autistic traits, they're more likely to explore every other avenue before they explore autism. Um, and what you know that ends up ends up happening is there's a lot of misdiagnosis, a lot of mismedication, a lot of mistreatment. Mm-hmm. So, what are the traits that they're looking for? Because um, it's usually like BPD is the big one, right? Between for for girls and women, it's both of them are sort of diagnosed interchangeably by mistake. Yeah, there are many many women who have been diagnosed with BPD that later on in life realise that actually they're autistic. And that might be that those conditions are comorbidities or it could be that they have been completely misdiagnosed, that they actually don't have BPD, they're actually autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there are, there's actually um, a really great Instagram account um, from a lady that lives in the south of WA called Shy Little Pixie. And she was, was in that position where she had lots of misdiagnoses and then I think in her 40s, she was diagnosed as autistic and she's just like, everything just fell into place. Yeah. Um, but the mental health impacts of that are just phenomenal. Yeah. Mm. So, like, I know Cam's got questions, uh, but just, I guess, off the back of the journey to, you know, why you investigated it, what it was like to do that, the barriers that were there, that are there for... Oh other you know i mean it's it's financial it's more there for Mm. some people than others certainly Mm. um why did you want a diagnosis like why did you when you were pretty sure anyway why did you persevere with getting a diagnosis particularly because as cam pointed out it's not like you get meds or something for it like it's not like a I, I'm sure I have ADHD, so I need to get a s- diagnosis to get a script. Mm-hmm. Was it just for attention? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just know me, I, I, love, I love attention. Um, You're on a podcast right now. <laughs> your, sarcas- your sarcasm is undercut by the presence of a podcast. We have one okay. listener in Brazil, okay? This shit oh, goes wow. worldwide. Wow. We had a listener in Belgium at one point. That's not as cool. It's pretty cool. As Brazil. You know what's really cool? Bragging about the one listener we have in each country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's f- I'm fine one. with that. Shout, one out to, is good. shout out to that person in our, Brazil. Our next biggest listener base is Texas, which is arguably the WA of America. So. Okay. So, uh, so, so, you, so didn't, you didn't have much of a personality. You wanted people to like you more. So you're like, <laughs> you know what? I think I, I might be autistic. Yeah. Um, you no. wanted an excuse to be rude to people. <laughs> I've never needed an excuse for that. Um, <laughs> um, initially, it was that I just wanted to know if what I had suspected was right. And I think... Um, so, autism was always a special interest for me. And I think that that was my brain's way of going, hey, you should look into this for yourself. So, when I was actually doing my Bachelor's of Education, this is back in the UK... The main, um, I guess, autism researcher at the time was um, Simon Baron Cohen. And yes, he is related to Sasha Baron Cohen. Cool. That's how I remember his name. Um, And I did so much reading on his research. And at the time, his research was about autism being the extreme male brain. And it was all very (laughs) male-centred and talking a lot about lack of empathy. So... 
I think at the time that I was reading up on a lot of this stuff, while I was interested in it, I didn't see myself in it. Mm. But when I started working with autistic children, I started going, oh, well, these are things that make sense. Yeah, yeah, it really was like, well, okay, I understand why that child has responded in that way or I could be a few steps ahead of, you know, what they were going to do or how they might react. Um, And, yeah, I – and then just pretty much throughout my – teaching career it's been an interest area and then obviously as research has progressed and it's leaning less towards that extreme male representation um that's where I started seeing it in myself more and more Mm. yeah I feel like autism's very much been for the boys oh absolutely what what's the the meme is that it's like an ex- an overexposure to testosterone in the womb, so like oh yeah, Jordan Peterson said something like that. Yeah, um, there's some really interesting information. I don't know if he actually said it or if that was just a come town bit, oh, but yeah. that is the meme. But on that as well, it's the same as ADHD. It's be- it's been a very sort of male focused sort of neurodivergency, whereas uh, only recently has it been oh yeah, girls have it too. It just manifests in very different ways girl power my my guess is and i want to know what you think of this it's that girls and women just generally have to mask harder anyway yeah like you're already operating at a higher level of trying to sort of conform and 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 stifle yourself in public so those masking skills that lend themselves well to you know masking in a in a in a autistic sense um, yeah, because prob- if you're quiet and reserved and private as a male, it's like he's he's stoic, he's mysterious and strong. Yeah, I mean, but if you're yeah. a woman, you're just a bitch. Yeah, what's there, her problem? There's there's different language around how you would even like. There's there's quite a lot of research when you look into things like even about uh, mindset. A lot of the research about growth mindset from Carol Dweck. She talks a lot about how even then the expectations on boys and girls, like that's even without bringing like autism into the picture. Mm-hmm. If a boy is failing, it's seen to be about behaviour. Um, whereas if, if a girl is having issues, then she's a failure, you know. And it just even the, the way in terms of we think about just – and this isn't even starting to look at gender diverse individuals this is just looking at straight male and female here yeah just the difference in expectations of children um it is phenomenal and even sort of the language that teachers use about children's behavior depending on whether they're boys or girls those expectations that we set Mm. and you know i i was at primary school in the 90s in the northwest of England that's very rural where people it wouldn't have really even been on anybody's radar anyway yeah I was seen as a gifted child now looking back I'm like wow how did nobody notice this because I was that kid that was geeking out about everything I could read before I started school um which is called hyperlexia um I started talking at six months old. Like there were certain advancements that I'm like, did nobody just stop and go, wait, maybe there's a little bit more to this because 
you know, I was I, socially very terrible. So that's interesting because I thought that a that talking later as a baby was uh, a symptom and that's exactly it so that here again in in male presentations of autism you Mm -hmm. often find there's the later language development in a lot of female presentations of autism it's earlier and it's overachieving too and it's the same with adhd and Mm. so again i've never been tested i've never had any of that sort of stuff and it's only since being with cam that i've had a look into things because i've been like I hyperfixate things on mm-hmm. things until I don't want to touch them anymore. Like I burn myself out on them and then I'm like, I never want to look at this hobby ever again. Mm-hmm. And I I sometimes cannot let something go. Like I'll be working on something at work and my brain will be telling me, let this go, let it go. You have to stop, you have to take a break, let it go, let it go. But there will be this weird sort of drive that goes, I have to finish this now and see it to the end. And I cannot, I physically cannot step away mm-hmm. from finishing this thing until it is done or it's perfect or I'm like, I'm happy with it sort of thing. And then was kind of looking at things and going, yeah, like there are weird things throughout my schooling life where, yeah, gifted was thrown around a lot, but it's because I would burn myself out on things like I would push myself to the limits on stuff and then burn out and be you know have surpassed expectations pretty much for the most and then be able to coast for the rest of it and it was just like yes that was my way of of dealing with that of that sort of you know being hyper fixated or or wanting to finish something and then dropping everything and going I don't need to do anything now because I've proven myself Mm -hmm. above and beyond so yeah yeah Yeah. it's yeah certainly from a female perspective and this isn't just um autistic females it's when we're looking like neurodivergent females masking um most um females are master maskers Mm. so by masking it's that covering up of the things that make you different um because it's it's having you know we talk about autistic people don't have empathy and that's just bullshit because the fact that many autistic people can go wow this is what makes me different here and i need to go into survival mode and my survival mode is to mask that's that's a pretty sophisticated skill really absolutely um, and female autistics are particularly good at it which again is another reason why it can be very difficult to spot and they've actually shown that autistic girls from as young as like two and three years old are masking um they've already mastered that art of masking so yeah makes it much more difficult to pick up on it so would you say that autism acceptance is about creating a world where you don't have to mask um yeah i think ideally i mean ideally um but acceptance it's not just about being able to be yourself i think i think we'd be very naive to think that we can all be ourselves all the time because that's just the the nature of society is we gosh no one would like me if i was myself all the time (laughs) you've ever been on 4chan a lot of people being themselves Yeah, I was going to ask where the community is. Is there like an r slash autism? Like when you talk about the community. Oh, I'm, I'm looking for it. Um, so now that you've said it. 
well, when we're, we're talking about like the autistic community, it's usually people that are connecting through social media. So for me, I connect a lot of the time um, on Instagram mm-hmm. um, with, with other people in the autistic community. Because you have a great account that you should plug at yes. some point. Okay. Plug, yeah. I, I, I do have an account called Autistic Insider. Autistic underscore insider because it wouldn't let me not have the underscore. Um, yeah, so it's a an Instagram account that I set up just off the back of my diagnosis. I was doing a lot of exploring of, you know, who I was. So even though I was looking, when I was looking to get my diagnosis, it was just because I wanted to be right. I then realised actually this is a whole new me and I need to rediscover this what is the real me Mm. what's the mask and what's me um and so last year for autism acceptance uh jeez holy fuck what was that I have no idea uh, apologies. No, Sorry one, no, no one would have heard no that. No one would have heard that. No one would have heard that, but we would have heard <laughs> that, and it was terrifying and it hurt. That was the fastest I've ever been I on the trackpad as I well. Think Kit <laughs> heard it. He didn't even have headphones on, and he heard it. Were you <laughs> testing my uh, how sensitive my hearing is? I think no, because because I opened up r slash autism, and I also opened up r slash autism memes, and one of them must have been an ear rape meme. Well, now we're all awake. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what were you saying? Who was saying what? I was Where saying something, but it's gone now. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, Cameron. Okay, so... Um, no, the question was, what is autism uh, acceptance about? Like, okay. So what, like, on the internet, acceptance gets thrown around a lot, so you've got, like... Um, I should be able to be 100% of me all the time and everyone else should just have to deal with it because yeah. I'm perfect. Okay. Like, just put up with me as a person. Yeah, so acceptance, I guess it comes from that striving for inclusion, striving for equity. Um, so you will see that some organisations refer to it as autism awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The autistic community usually doesn't say awareness because, like, well, people are aware enough. Like, you know, Sheldon Cooper's rather popular. We're aware of autism. Um, According to the writers, he's not supposed to be or Like, people, they've come out and been like, no, he's not. They've headcanoned him. I g- kind of. Like, ev- like, I don't know that there's any way that you could read that character as being anything other than autistic. Yeah. And the fact that the... I mean, all of them, really. Right? I mean, all of them, really. To a certain extent. um, But, like, he... like Such a shitty show, by the way. The whole point of the character (laughs) is it's it's funny to laugh at how much of a freak he is. Mm. And so many other characters are like, is he crazy? What's the deal? Uh, So, like, it makes... It makes sense that you would read the character that way, but then the showrunners or the writers are like, nah, he's just Sheldon. He's just his own thing. He's just being Sheldon. Yeah, that's I haven't come across that, but then again, it's not really a show that I pay much attention to. Good. But it, yeah. So people are aware, but they're not necessarily accepting. And I've actually had this firsthand where I've, you know, when I've disclosed to people that I'm autistic, and they do, oh, we're not going to treat you any differently, which is also bullshit because you are, because you've got more context as to why I behave in the way that I behave. We're going to put up with you more. <laughs> Um, well, make more excuses for you. There's there's an understanding there, yeah. I would hope. And 
you know, most of the people actually that say I'm not going to treat you differently um, are actually usually the people that then when you request an accommodation, they think you're being difficult. Mm. And so when we're talking about acceptance, it's like, well, not finding us being unreasonable um, for making a request for an accommodation. Yeah. Um, enabling us to have access. So actually a really good example of a recent event with this um marvel stadium oh this is about a month ago now at the harry styles concert they really highly publicized having a sensory room for uh, neurodivergent people to you know access if they needed that time out and so what is a sensory room so a sensory room that they can be two ways of looking at a sensory room it can be that the sensory room um allows the autistic person or the neurodivergent person to access um sensory experiences that help them to self-regulate um or it can be to you know have like you know no sensory input right depending on what works for the individual room yeah it can be um, so the idea of this was that, you know, Marvel Stadium, we're putting out there, look how inclusive we're being, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, great. Um, but when neurodivergent people were trying to access the room, the staff quite clearly hadn't been trained um, and they were asking people for their diagnostic papers. Oh, that's awesome. Mm. And the reason this actually came about was Chloe Hayden was one of those people. So. Right. Who's that? Chloe Hayden is, she's an actress, she's an author, um, she's an autism advocate. Um, She was recently in Heartbreak High playing an autistic character Um, and she was one of the people who was um, denied access to the sensory room um, and pretty much told that, you know, she couldn't be autistic. Um, she's actually autistic and ADHD. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that was... An, it was interesting, the conversation that came off the back of that because as an advocate, she openly spoke about how she'd been treated. Um, she did eventually meet with um, somebody at Marvel Stadium to, to talk about what went wrong. Because, um, like, what's but, the point of having... Like show us your papers. Like, what if a if a neuro if a neurotypical person gets in, it's like, oh no, you're disturbing. Well, the- I mean, I don't know whether they were thinking this was like a, a COVID vax or what, where you can just like, you oh, hey, let me open uh, up an only, app on my phone. And- only thing I could guess is that they were worried that it would just get filled up with people who just wanted to go in there and that would undercut the purpose. But I don't know. But that- it's not space well, away from neurotypicals. It, the, like, if it's supposed to be a quiet room. No, but I'm just if the room is full of people who are just like tourists there who don't who don't need it. Mm. I mean, there was, there was only there's only space in it for twelve people anyway. So all oh, these publicising that they yeah yeah. So it's like um, this is what I'm I, saying. It's it's not enforced in a good way, but it's likely so that it doesn't fill up with mm. people who whom it's not intended for. Yeah, but the like they were discussions around it afterwards like some of the i mean i know that you can really get down a rabbit hole of you know reading comments on people's posts but some of the harmful dialogue um going around after that of you know well what does she expect 
or what do these people expect? Just don't go to a, don't go to something that's going to be loud. And it's like, well, no, everybody has the right to access that. And the fact that this facility advertised that there was going to be a safe place actually could have been instrumental in a lot of people's decisions to attend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they went there because yeah, they thought it would be safe. I know that I can take that step back if I need to. Mm. Um, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, they might not. But having that option can actually mean that they can attend. That'd be like telling people in wheelchairs, don't go there if there's going to be stairs. They may have advertised one ramp, but don't... Exactly. Just don't go... Stay home. And that's that's exactly when we're talking about acceptance. We're talking about accessibility, inclusion, equity, everybody having the same opportunities or what they need to have the same opportunities as everyone else. Um... Yeah. So how, how do you think social media influences the public perception of autism? Because, like, uh, I, I'm going to assume that our algorithms are a little bit different. Uh, mine's, <laughs> Maybe. Mine's uh, <laughs> very... Uh, I'm on Reddit a lot. So, like... Yeah, we heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, autism in the space of the internet that I occupy is either, like, it's... It's either like the, the punchline to a joke, so somebody's behaving mm-hmm. in some kind of like uh, unseemly way in public, and the joke is that they have autism, or if it's like the recent trend of like uh, Sigma male memes, it's just like the reason you're not Ryan Gosling or uh, Christian Bale, you're just autistic. So there's that, or and this is particularly for like teenagers, particularly f- uh, girls on TikTok. It's like just people attention seeking, trying to create a personality. So like, it seems like the perception of autism on the internet is uh, fairly negative, and people don't really know what it is on both sides. So people who are like self-IDing, but they're being like, because I'm autistic, that means I like potato salad. That's like <laughs> that's an autistic okay. food, or like. Yeah, no, like, there are people mm-hmm. who do, literally, like, their content is just, like... Yeah, this is why I things like TikTok yeah. are just garbage, because, yeah. like, doesn't matter what it is, like, it's not just autism, like, stuff, once it, like, you know, I was with a partner who would send me these, like, you know, psychology TikToks, where it's just, like, you've heard the words gaslighting and whatever it is, and you've just adopted it. It's like Google search level understanding yeah and 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 i think i think you're right that that happens with autism but i think that happens with basically anything that can be made into an identity Mm -hmm. there are definitely people that just pick up and run with whatever is floating around and also just whatever trends as well i think the difference with autism though is that it's like you can like more extreme uh mental health issues or like psychological issues you can you can see those and then they're sort of like, they're harder to like sort of just shut, like just put on as an identity for social media. Whereas like autism, because it's so flexible in the way that it can be defined, anybody could theoretically have a bit, like because it's on a spectrum. That's what makes it so insufferable on those kinds of TikTok platforms. But like... Well, there isn't such a thing as being a little bit autistic. Um, And I would actually say as an autistic person, I think it's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Even if there are some people out there that are just jumping on the bandwagon, I don't know. I don't have TikTok, and I have no desire to have it. I just uninstalled um, it. Um, but 
But I think it's a good thing overall in terms of getting the message out there that autism has so many different presentations and so many different traits. And I think many people within the autistic community, especially those that have been late diagnosed, would say the same thing, saying that, well, the more information that is out there and again the more that information is out there there's always going to be some information that's that's not accurate etc um but it's better to hear from people who are autistic themselves than hearing from organizations that spout harmful messages about autism um that have a very negative view of autism we're talking about autism speaks Yes. Yeah. That's one of them. They're probably the the biggest um, culprit, I would say. If uh, there's time, we can play the I Am Autism short film. Have you seen I that? Can, I, can, <laughs> I can give you some very interesting information about some practices that they advocate for. Is that, but, yeah. Didn't we watch that already? We did. We said we, that we were going to show Catherine. Oh, Have yeah. you seen it? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Well, then we'll cut it in. We don't have to watch it live then. Good, thanks. But that... <laughs> When we watched that, it was uh, we were looking at some director, like what that director a had Harry done. Harry Potter director. He was yeah. the Harry Potter. He was the director of the third Harry Potter mm. film, yeah. my favorite Harry Potter film that I now can no longer watch can't because watch of it. it. <laughs> can't watch it, folks. I can't watch it anymore. I can't bring yeah. myself. No, that sh- that shit uh, was that was crazy, and it's like. I don't know that kind of stuff. I was waiting for the laugh track. So yeah. was I. Like I was surely waiting. this is satire. Yeah. Like, that, what is this? That was mm. almost on the same level of satire as um, the Chasers Make Realistic Wish Foundation. <laughs> yes. Like that's the. Yeah. That was the same. It had the same energy. Yeah. Look, I would rather have content of people who identify as autistic talking about their experiences than having. People who masquerade as professors, for example, um, telling parents that they should give their autistic children diluted bleach every day to strip the autism out of their system. Oh, man. Who says that? You can research it. No, name drop them. <laughs> name name drop. and shame. Um, Andrew Wakefield, who is actually oh. the guy. Oh, yeah, we so know all about ding, 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 Andrew. Ding, 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 ding. Good on Andy. So he's, he's not the only one, but I do know that that's um, something that he has advocated for previously. The man who technically uh, assaulted several children. Um, in terms of harmful practices, I actually found like probably the most terrifying thing that I've ever come across if I can actually find my notes Um, and this is actually to do with a facility that Autism Speaks um, actually support and they supported this practice when it was banned Mm. and they asked for it well asked for it they advocated for it to be um, reinstated or the ban to be overturned um, so this is actually, it's called the Judge Rotenberg Centre in Massachusetts. Um, and they actually have a treatment called Graduated Electronic Decelerator, which essentially is like a tag that electrocutes an autistic person, not just autistic people, they have people with um, all sorts of conditions, disabilities, etc. in this facility. 
and they electrocute them when they behave in ways that are undesirable. So that can even be stimming. So stimming is a way that autistic people, a lot of neurodivergent people uh, self-regulate mm-hmm. or cope with difficult situations. So this practice was actually banned in 2020, but then it was overturned in 2021 and Autism Speaks was instrumental in this. And there's actually a specific case that is just horrific. And this was from 2002. And it was a a teenage boy called Andre McCollins. Now, the only reason that this case came about was that in like 2011, 2012, a video was leaked by this boy's mum of the staff at this centre. So they tied him by force down to a four-point board and shocked him 31 times at the highest amperage setting. And the first shock was because he didn't take his coat off when they asked him to. The remaining 30 shocks was because he was screaming and tensing up after every shock. But that's what shocking does. Yeah, responding to pain. So this kid was actually admitted to hospital with third-degree burns from these devices. Kids have died in this facility from these sorts of treatments. So when autistic people... But at least people, they're not autistic anymore. Well, are they alive, you know? Um, you know, they're, they're not... They're treating people... I wouldn't even say they're treating people like animals in this facility, but mm. when people, when autistic people get arced up about autism speaks, it's because they have supported things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I have had people when I've brought it up in various conversations where people have said, oh, but why are you so bothered about it? I'm like, it's, it's torture. You're yeah. torturing people. like Kids. Yeah. You're torturing kids. And I do believe as well, yep, it is also paid for in tax dollars. Nice. Good so, one, America. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Um, I mean, it, it just reeks of conversion therapy. It yes. Just, it's the exact same thing, and I can totally understand why anyone who is autistic or neurodivergent would be like, so uh, you know how gay people were treated this way and it stopped because I realised it was incredibly inhumane? How about... We bring some of that over here. It also mm-hmm. reeks of rehab and those like uh, child delinquency programs. True and On's got a good series on that. But mm-hmm. again, basically submitting children to horrific kinds of treatment for like, I don't know. I mean, obviously the ultimate aim of these businesses is to make money. Yes. And yeah. they've, they've figured out how to leverage parents' concern. And it, it always comes down to that, the parents' concern mm-hmm. yeah. over my child is autistic or addicted to drugs or is you know flunking out of school or whatever and they leverage that and turn it into money but then the the like the sadism of it is is really like you mm-hmm. just it, it, even if you're in the business of just trying to make money off like gullible parents it, it mm-hmm. still doesn't explain like how sadistic the practices are like why they would even mm. engage in that unless there's some kind of ideological bent as well where i don't know they they think autism is evil and you've got to shock it out of kids or, or something. I don't know. I can't explain it. To some extent, mm, they must know that it doesn't work, though. Like, they must uh, have... Because su- there's no data to suggest that it would work. Maybe they think they're the, trailblazers. The thing is, though... So, so, this is actually quite interesting. I've been looking at... Because um, my current job is writing um, units um, of competency. 
um, and I am actually going to be starting to write the autism unit for um, the community sector qualifications and they talk about evidence-based practices that they need that the students need to learn about evidence-based practices but it doesn't specify what they are and actually if you look at it it is actually an evidence-based practice because they have evidence it's like ABA therapy again is another um, so it, it's probably they call it actually the gold standard of treatment for autism now first of all treatment for autism indicates a cure and you're selling a cure and there are a lot of parents that I think you know they genuinely want to do the right thing for their child and a lot of these organizations take advantage of that um, and they're sort of, you know, catching parents at a vulnerable moment of, oh my goodness, what do I do here? And so ABA therapy is applied behavior analysis therapy, which essentially um, it sort of masquerades as we use positive enforcement to get um, positive behaviors or to encourage the child to... Um, behave constructive it mask exactly um, it doesn't allow for stimming etc um, etc et but it is so is the it like Pavlov's where you basically click well, a, you click a button and no this is more operant conditioning so it's right. that if you you know you show the positive behavior here's your positive reward right it used to involve a lot of punishment um, but the shiny new version of it apparently doesn't right but it it's opened up to a lot of you know misapplication um you know they, they train parents in how to offer rewards etc etc um and there's actually um been there's quite a bit of study um on this on the fact that um them the children that are put through this therapy are much more likely to have ptsd mm-hmm um because all of their natural coping mechanisms as autistic beings are taken away from them um so they don't have the tools to cope with the uh stressful environments anymore well yeah and it also teaches them to hide sensory pain Mm. so you know they they may be in situations where they they feel incredibly unwell and in pain because of the sensory things going on around them um and they're told that no you you need to hide that Mm. so you're internalizing all of that of of course that's that's going to result in something like ptsd and goodness knows what kind of mental health issues on top of that um yeah so aba is still i would say the most commonly used evidence-based practice but it's most definitely not something that's um spoken of fondly by the autistic community or people who have actually been through it um yeah so when it comes to because you mentioned the if they're offering a treatment that sort of implies a cure Mm. is there any kind of debate or is there probably a, a consensus around the idea of treating or curing autism like basically do, do people who are autistic want that in in some way so there was a um there's a guy called chris Bonello. um he's based in the uk um he actually did a really in-depth survey i think it was towards the end of 2021 
um, of autistic people, but also uh, people who are family members of autistic people. And um, one of the results of that survey was like around 80% of autistic people said that they didn't want to be cured. That they were perfectly happy that they were autistic. Yep. Um, so the, the issue in terms of these, ther these cure therapies is that I think a lot of the time they're catching parents when they're at their most vulnerable. Yep. I think as a parent, especially if you don't have any knowledge or if you have a and very negative sort of understanding of a condition. Also in the US, my understanding is that there's a pipeline from the schools to to these uh, these businesses where there's kickbacks for student counsellors or whatever sending children or sending parents through these these networks it wouldn't surprise me yeah um i it's not really something that i've looked into in a lot of depth but um i did do a bit of a teaching in the u.s and it would not surprise me mm. um just in terms of the way that the system works um but yeah you're i don't know they're catching parents at their most vulnerable when they they need help they want help they want to do what's right for their child and I think these sorts of organisations are really just taking advantage of vulnerable parents and children who are not in a position to say, hey, I'm okay with this. Um, because actually this survey, um, it did survey uh, children as well. I think there were some children that were sort of early teens. Um, so it did incorporate young autistic people as well as um, adults. Um, so yeah, the fact that 80% or around 80% of autistic people went actually, no, we don't no, want a cure. You. Yeah. Um, and that, that comes back to the identity thing, you know, it's, it's how we identify because without our autistic brain, we wouldn't be who we are. So you find a lot of autistic people prefer identity first language rather than person first language for that very reason. But don't autistic people just, aren't they just a burden on the system because of all the extra help they need? Well, if you ask the Australian government all the from a migration perspective, yes. probably. I mean, it's quite interesting because I'm obviously not from here. Mm. I migrated here. from around here. Nah. Um, <laughs> um, I migrated here, got my permanent residency and got my citizenship before I had my autism diagnosis. Now, there's been a case in the news recently of a family that were going to be deported and not granted their PR, um, not because the child was autistic, but the child had Down syndrome. But there was a similar case over East somewhere a couple of years ago as well where the child was autistic. And so even though both parents had, you know, they they had skilled occupations that are in demand in Australia, they were like, no, nah, no, nah, sorry, we... You're a drain. Yeah, you're, you're going to be a drain on the, on the system. And, you know, you start looking at the... That's, that's even like NDIS-type mentality. When you start seeing people, you know, talking about, oh, but the NDIS costs a lot of money. I actually saw a stat somewhere where for every dollar spent on the NDIS, Australia gets back $2.25. Yeah. Yeah. So All of those like, systems end up saving taxpayer money in the long yes. run anyway. Like, if not directly. So, like, 
if you have free healthcare, for example, less individuals are spending more money on their own personal healthcare. So you mm. as a consumer save money, mm. but then also the taxpayer pays saves money because if everyone has access to that immediate healthcare, then you're not having to cover the big stuff as much. Mm -hmm. So like think of like those sort of first, uh, those f first ports of call that are cheaper to provide access for mm -hmm. end up saving uh, people money because you don't have to provide the big stuff later on. It's an investment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think that whole burden on society thing, it's a very outdated notion. Um, there are a lot of organizations out there that are doing some really great work. Um, I forget the name of it, but it's um, run by Dylan Olcott. Um, he's doing some really great work in terms of getting um, disabled people employment and into employment. And it's, you know, and it's about seeing the value of having people with disabilities in a business, mm -hmm. in the workplace, that people have something to offer. Um, and, you know, and... For, for me, I can look at it of a perspective of, well, I have what would be termed as an invisible disability and that's hard enough because I can choose to tell people. But in terms of for people who have a physical disability, for example, where it is, you know, it's not something that can be hidden, the difficulties that they must face. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this whole burden on society, I think there are an awful lot, more burdens on society than people who have um, a condition that makes them differ from what would be termed the norm. How about these bloody politicians, am I right? <laughs> How much are we paying them? Well. Do you see that, um, I think New South Wales, they've got Labor now? Yeah. New Labor just dropped? Yeah. That's pretty sick. We're one, one state away from a full house. We, we had it mm. once, briefly. We had it for a couple of months. That one didn't surprise me because wasn't old mate, he stepped in when Gladys stepped down over some controversy. So he was never voted in, basically. Yeah. And was, voters, I mean, no, I'm pretty sure Gladys was, she's liberal. Gladys is yeah, liberal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So the person that I expected the liberal person to oh, lose... Oh, you mean... Because right. he stepped in after she stepped down. Right. Yeah. I thought and you meant the Labour guy voters tend to not in. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. They that's tend to not like the guy who's like, wait a minute, I didn't vote for this guy. What's he doing here? Get him the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be hard to try and win an election that way. But Scott Morrison won an election that way. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it doesn't... Swings and roundabouts. Yeah, it doesn't always... Uh, but he was... This guy was also not popular, so like he's a guy no. that no one asked for, and he wasn't really that popular. I don't think liberals are popular at the moment. And anyway. I, I, I said to you the campaigns that liberals were running versus what Labor was running. Like Labor was running very targeted attack ads. Dominic um, Perrottet, or whatever, however you say his last name, he's doing this. He's done this. He's planning to do this. And then the liberal ads were a vote for an independent is a vote for Labour. <laughs> like they're, they're still scrambling. <laughs> Weak. They're still scrambling after the federal election to make sense of how they lost and why they lost. And the best they can do is tell people, look, don't vote. Just please don't vote independent. <laughs> we, that's the best attack ad they could have. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a decent result. I don't know much about the Labour guy that's just got in, but you know, I, I actually have a question for Catherine and about, mm -hmm what you think about the terms that people use because i've heard it 
thrown around a bit and I have used it to describe myself before but I'm not sure I would continue to use it about the terms high functioning so mm-hmm. um, you know high functioning uh, depressive so that's something that I've definitely called myself before because a lot of the time it is just I just mask and I go and that's mm-hmm. it so I've you know I've had and been dealing with some kind of form of depression I think since I was probably 12 like that's the earliest I can remember feeling those kinds of feelings Mm -hmm. and then it just kind of devolving from there and but being able to just kind of manage it like just go you know what I'm just gonna keep going but also at the same time everything is terrible and I don't want to be here anymore Mm -hmm. so but like what do you feel about people coining those kind of terms well unfortunately high functioning is actually part of the diagnostic terminology oh really so and this is again it's a it's terminology that isn't it's particularly DSM. liked yeah it's Love well if, you, if you're if you're a number one you're you're <laughs> high functioning um yeah so high functioning is a terrible term for it mm-hmm. because um and the the, the thing, it's, it's also, it comes from the idea of, oh, mild autism. I've had people say to me, you know, you're mild autism. And I'm like, I'm not a Nando's order. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> and that, that you often see like, you know, there's memes about being neurospicy, you know, yeah. how neurospicy are you? Um, I think that that's kind of ironic though. Like, I think that, I mean, I don't know, my, my, my view of like the neurospicy stuff is that it's, mostly younger people just trying to have a bit of fun with yeah. not feeling okay a lot of the time mm-hmm. yeah look the when you think about terms like mild and high functioning there's a there's a few ways you can look at it one it's because that's how others experience whatever it is that you're going through or whatever you're presenting with at that time um, you know, you might experience my autism mildly, my depression mildly, my anxiety mildly, uh, my alcoholism mildly. We talk mm-hmm. about functional alcoholics, yep. you know. Um, and what is like, function? Well, you get up and you go to work. Like it's a very, cap- yeah, it's, it's a like very you, capitalist frame of yeah, like, can yes. you can so, you function the way that society can, demands? Can you be a benefit yes. to society? Yeah, go to go to work, uh, generate value. So, hmm. so a description of somebody who's high functioning is just somebody who can act normally, who can mask um, really well. Yeah, it's somebody who can conform to those neurotypical expectations. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have anything um, to do with like their specific functions. Like if you're uh, it's not a category of function. It's, it's not, no. no. Yeah, I, I think of it as, um, the, the way that I like to think of it is, how, to what degree do I make you feel uncomfortable about me? Yeah. Right. And if you're high functioning or mild, you don't make other people feel as uncomfortable, even though I think I'm very capable of it. Um, but... Yeah, I think that is where a lot of that comes from, how uncomfortable others feel around you and the way that you present. And, of course, when you start adding things like masking into it, um, and not just masking, you know, mental health is something that we've only recently started talking quite openly about and there are still Mm. many, many people that will not discuss mental health. Yep. And it's seen as a sign of weakness. And Man. so as a society, we we cover it up. I'm okay. I'm okay. Even, and this is the, I guess, the, the language teacher side of me, even linguistically, 
we say, how are you? And it's actually considered rude in the English language. Go, oh, I'm terrible. You know, well, yeah, we don't want to hear that. Like we want I, you to tell us you're, you know, you can say you're okay or, you know, oh, I'm having a great day. Like well, when I'm I, all right. When, yeah. I, um, when I go to work, like my default hello is like, um, I'm good, how are you doing? And then they say they're good and then we, we part ways and, do, and we do work. But if I came in and I was like, this is shit, I, I feel like I'd make them uncomfortable. Yeah. That being said, I had a friend at work who would just come in and say things are shit mm-hmm. and it would bum me out. But in, in hindsight, he, th- he was actually way more based than me. <laughs> he would just come in and, and bring his problems into the room and, and we all have to know about it. Perhaps if, like, if we were more accepting of people saying, actually, no, I'm not okay today, and, you know, not just having a day for it, um, that perhaps as a society we would be more open to talking about our mental health issues and not having to feel like we need to say it's just mild or high-functioning or, you know, I'm okay today but I'm then going to go home and not cope. I'm going to break down and just have, you know, the worst night ever because I don't feel like I can open up to others. I think that – this is just a tangent, but on the – um, how are you thing my understanding is at some point like the reason why that's in the lexicon is at some point people actually were kind of asking how people are because there's like this participatory sort of thing that people need to know how people around them are feeling to sort of gauge how they're feeling in a situation mm-hmm. um, but yeah definitely what, what if that is the case whatever true intent or the reason why that developed it's it's definitely been buried under just niceties and I, like i'm gonna say it again it comes back to capitalism it's like all right cool get to work your shift starts now i we don't know. have time to but, hear about but this. also with you know uh, with um you know what is and isn't acceptable in, in society is often um is often decided by the sort of higher of society and so when you're looking at, like if you look back at even Edwardian and Victorian times, you know, it was a very austere. You had to be very serious, like smiling in photographs was not allowed. So, you know, showing any kind of emotion in public was very much frowned mm-hmm. upon. And so asking someone how they were and getting anything other than I'm okay or I'm doing all right or things are going good is not polite. I mean, in Australia, people don't even ask it back. No. That amazed me when I first came over here. People would be like, oh, how are you going? There would be no hello. It would just be how are you going. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How, how, how are you? Oh, bye. Yeah. Um, you actually don't care. Um. <laughs> I do that, but I forget. I forget to, to ask back. Well, I mean, it's. I find that it's not really a done thing here. It really threw me when I first came over here. I was like, wow, these people don't ask it back. I'm just going to stop. I can't He's remember asking who... you so that you can ponder how you're feeling. <laughs> yeah. And then so you can have an do you, existential crisis. Do you remember who it was? It's probably Carl Barron because it's... Yeah, like the well, uh, the how how we we're cheeky. We say not not too bad. Yeah, we don't, we don't say how yeah. we are. We say how we're not. Yeah, yeah. we tell you how we're not, and then you got to figure out the rest. Yes. Yeah, because I find that like I, I find the the classic exchange that I have with people at work all the time, especially tradies, is oh how you doing? Oh yeah, not too bad. That's not it. too bad. Not too bad. And then they might be like, what about yourself? Like yeah, not too bad. Old people like to say not bad for whatever day of the week it is. So yeah, like, ah, not bad for a Monday. <laughs> Not bad for a Saturday. How bad are your Saturdays? <laughs> How bad ha- is your weekend? What's You're happening retired. on a Saturday, man? 
Maybe that's the, just their way of remembering what day it is. I imagine that when you're retired, like, you could lose track. For, the, for like how good their day is going. Oh. Maybe they've had a couple of really bad Saturdays. You don't know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Saturdays old can people be bad. Do, some old people depress me. Yeah. Because they don't do anything. <laughs> They're retired and they do nothing. And, and I that, asked them what they did on the weekend. They're like, nothing. And that is sad. And kind of coming back to mental health around that as well. There are times where I think about... Like we often talk about youth and mental health and we do tend to not always think about the Mm -hmm. elderly and mental health and how that can really have like take a toll on them especially they had their chance well especially as they're getting older and if a, a lot of their f- friends and family are no longer around them or if they've lost their spouse and it is just them and they don't have ties to the community and mm-hmm. they're just completely on their own that can be a very lonely uh, experience which can lead to mental health issues not being a part of the you know any kind of social environment and they just kind of devolve on themselves Mm -hmm. also if they have on top of that say dementia or any kind of other illness that creates a kind of debilitation and then they're not able to do things for themselves either which makes it Mm -hmm. even worse or even i mean things like autism because how many yeah how many like yeah how many older people just have these things that they like this is this is this is a little bit different but i was on a like a boat cruise sort of thing like it was like a open bar like you pay an amount to get on and then you just get completely fucked up on a boat and like as as the trip went on like everyone's getting pretty loose and there's you know you walk in and there's a pole in the in their boat it's like countdown to when someone starts badly grinding on the pole but at some point there was a this this older white guy that was like giving it a go and i was thinking to myself this is just completely like uh, projecting a narrative onto him but i was thinking it would be funny if this was like the moment that he realized he was gay because he's of that generation where mm-hmm. like it could have just never come up mm-hmm. it could have just never been a thing and it's just at that moment that he was like oh actually do you think that the realization do you think that it would be like despair I've wasted all these oh, years. Oh, yeah, yeah, Or yeah, do you yeah. think they would immediately become a giant whore I mean, and prob- just start it could, blowing it could go everything either way. that moves? But, but that, that sort of just seeing that and kind of thinking to myself... I'm not sure like, I agree with calling him a whore and using that term. Like a man whore. I know, I think... I, he I'm becomes, not slut-shaming, I'm just saying. He would just... He'd be he going to... He becomes extraordinarily not, sexually active. It's not slut-shaming, it's slut-naming. He'd we're just, get, we're okay. just, we're just pointing You're it just out. just pointing he'd, it he'd out. He'd go into the middle stall where there's two glory holes and he'd be <laughs> like... His his head would be on one, and then he his bum would be on the other, and he would wow. just. I thought you were going to go with two hands. Yeah, I thought you fluff with two hands to get them ready, but then it's basically like you rest your forehead on I, there. I'd like. I don't know that his spine. Yeah, does I'd like that to understand is. how this man is going to contort himself into that position maybe in a he's tiny not a very, stall. Maybe he's not a very tall man. He maybe wasn't a, a tall man, man. but okay, he's like right. maybe he's really arching his back as well. But so the reason I bring that up, and I've got no idea if this guy was gay or not. That was just a drunken thought that i had when i saw this like previously buttoned down like older guy just start going like you getting know, loose yeah pretty risque on the pole and it makes me think about how many older people have autism or bipolar or any mm. of these kind of things that uh it's it's, it's been missed because it just wasn't on their radar yeah, yeah it just mm. it was you know to whatever extent there is currently still a stigma and still a block to access like yeah 40 mm. 50 60 years ago like mm-hmm. 
unheard of. Well, Anthony Hopkins was diagnosed when he was 70. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Um, so he's, I guess, the he's the most prominent elderly or older autistic person who was um, diagnosed much later in life. Um, and, you know, he's talked about how it really helped him to make sense of himself um, he credits his acting skills with his autism. Um, you know, he says, if I wasn't autistic, I wouldn't be as good as I am because it allows me to study people. And I think what people really underestimate is the observational skills of autistic people. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to mask, we have to observe behaviours and take on those behaviours. Yeah, to blend in To with blend the in, exactly. Some, someone told me... <laughs> I want to get your opinion on this. Someone, okay. someone told me that there were broadly two kinds of autism. There's boy, <laughs> boy autism and girl autism. Okay. And that boy autism was uh, not being able to pick up on social cues. And that girl autism was getting frustrated when other people don't pick up on social cues. Because you've <laughs> learnt it. You you studied this shit. You learnt the cues. Mm-hmm. Why can't they fucking do it? That was their mm-hmm. that was their broad delineation. I can definitely see where that comes from. I think yeah. I, I can't really speak for um, male autistics that that have that experience, but certainly from my perspective, um, I think I'm pretty pretty socially savvy now. Mm. Um, it's taken nearly thirty five years, but does it frustrate um, you when people don't follow the conventions that you've learned? Okay, I'll give you an example. So yesterday. I went to go get fuel at the fuel station, something very simple. And there's this guy who was taking up two pumps. That just drives me insane. This morning I was walking my dog and people kept walking really close to me. I'm like, there's a whole path here. Do you not realize that when you're walking closely behind a woman in a park where there's lots of trees can be really quite intimidating and make you, you know, somebody feel very uncomfortable. So there's lots of these things where, you know, I get very frustrated at others not picking up on what they should be picking up about how they make others uncomfortable or how they inconvenience others. It drives me insane. And I think that comes from years of me inconveniencing others with my quirks probably and having to learn to really I guess watch the people around me for how I might be for want of a better term burdening them making them feel uncomfortable um outstaying my welcome etc etc because you know I certainly as a child and in my teens and I would even say into my early 20s I wasn't that savvy in terms of other human beings around me I've had to learn that I think I'm pretty good at it now I think years of working as a manager uh, kind of knocked that into me I had to it became a survival instinct and Mm. a lot of a lot of what autistic people learn to do is out of survival um it's out of necessity yeah and um for me i'm you know if i do something i want to do it well i'm quite the perfectionist so if i'm studying people then i really study people and i really want to understand what makes them tick so i can then make sure that 
I'm not behaving in a way that might inconvenience them, make them feel uncomfortable, etc., etc. That doesn't always work. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't always work for anyone. Mm. But I think that kind of answers the the question of um, whether you have girl or boy autism. <laughs> but I, like, yeah, whether it's called whether it, whether the delineation is boy or girl, I think mm. was sort of said in jest. But those two broad, like, either they struggle with the social convention mm-hmm. or they did struggle and they learned it and now because i find that as well like i get triggered by just mm-hmm. you know when i when i'm driving i get triggered by people just doing the wrong thing because mm-hmm. you I'm, are an aggressive driver <laughs> yeah. no, in but, general but things i mean i just drive fast <laughs> yeah fast and, and aggressive people get in no, my way I, I don't drive aggressively i don't like ride up people or cut people off well, i'm scared to ride on the freeway with you because people do suck at driving in perth like indicators are just a yeah, new thing, thing here things like that piss me off because i just feel like follow the rules i yeah. learnt the rules everyone else learnt the rules yeah just follow the fucking rules but i've seen you break the rules yeah i know <laughs> I but that's okay that. you break them well though i'm so. a paradox yeah, it's, a, it's a double standard okay? what part about that don't you understand yeah. my, my experience of like uh picking up on social cues or not understanding social convention is like i see it i recognize that that's the thing that's the rule but i don't know why so I don't really respect it. So like, I remember like much of my sort of like early to late teens was getting into arguments with people about like, you're doing the wrong thing socially. And I'm like, but why? Why does it matter? Why is that the mm-hmm. rule? And like, basically the response that people would eventually come up with is just like, he's weird basically. So like, yeah. I was just, and on the thing of like, uh, outstaying your welcome, I could definitely tell when I had outstayed my welcome, even if people weren't like outright saying it. But I think it got to a point after like however many years of uh, like bullying or social ostracism where it's like out of resentment, I'm going to stay here and deliberately make you uncomfortable now. And I'm going to turn the weirdness up because Mm -hmm. I can tell you don't like me. I can tell that you don't want me around, but you don't have the... Like, you don't have the guts to say that to me. You're just sort of being sort of vaguely rude. Mm -hmm. So, like... Because I I remember I used to take a lot of pleasure in making people uncomfortable in those kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. Like, not as a... Not immediately. I wouldn't just go up and be weird. But, like, the more I would open up and let my personality come out, the more I could sort of feel people recoil. Yeah. And then at some point it just became, well... Like, I can tell you're already, you have a negative perception of me, so now I'm just going to be even weirder mm-hmm. until you make me go away. Is mm-hmm. that what happened when you met me and it was like, she's not going away. No, because <laughs> we were in a professional setting. You can't do that at work. You can do it at school because there's no going away. Right. I'll be back tomorrow and, <laughs> and the next day. and the ne- You have to leave. I had, you have to leave. I had a similar thing, but not with weirdness, more just like being a prick just be just being an arrogant asshole like just putting shit in people's drinks at parties in front of them wow. just like they're holding a cup <laughs> and you just drop something so i mean not- i would do i don't know that i ever did that but i would do stuff like that like i just in my <laughs> in my teens and early 20s just lent fully into like i'm a fucking rock star and i do what i want and uh, if you've got a bad opinion of me i'm about to validate it so this I, conversation I the i'm a rock star too. attitude mm. is funny as well because i uh weren't you still living at home when you were doing most of your gigging? 
Uh, and, like, because I knew you during the, like, you were doing gigs and, like, Yeah, I mean, stuff. I started doing gigs when I was, like, 16, and I think I left home at 22 or 23 when I moved in with a partner. Yeah, so just the image of this, like, 20-something or late teen thinking that, like, he can be an asshole and have the sort of, like, rock star persona is... Uh, oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying it was, like, right or great. That's just how I was yeah, at, I know. at that time. <laughs> I think I, I went through something similar of that. If And this was more probably to do with, like, family members. This would, would have been in, like, my mid to late teens of if I know this is something that makes you feel uncomfortable, then I am going to continue to do this. <laughs> yeah. Having um, yeah. Man- manners are, like, I think when you don't respect or experience those kinds of social conventions in the same sort of like automatic fashion that I think neurotypicals do, the fact that they do is a weakness for them because then you can lean on the fact that they're too polite (laughs) to say anything. So you Mm -hmm. can like... uh, I mean, the other side of it is, is that if you conform to that, then you are actually making yourself feel uncomfortable. Yeah, eventually. Mm. You know, it's it's somebody in the room is going to feel uncomfortable. So as the neurodivergent in the room if you conform to the neurotypical you feel uncomfortable Mm. but then if you don't conform to the neurotypical then the neurotypical usually feels uncomfortable Mm -mm. so with this conversation that was happening before i think we should maybe leave it as the free here and in the premium episode i would like to jump on top of this discussion and go to toxic traits that are often either how you can maximize toxicity no either actual traits of neurodivergence or are traits that men hide behind and use as an excuse with neurodivergence to explain bad behavior and i think is an interesting topic that we should cover in the premium episode okay so let's leave it here for the free this has been apfm and for anyone that doesn't make it to the patreon episode with us um, your Instagram again, Catherine? Uh, Autistic Insider. Cool. Uh, hopefully see you in the premium. And if you don't want to pay, we'll see you in a year when we put it on APFM Radio. APFM Radio. APFM Radio. Radio.